What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. And let's kick it off with a massive one. Amazing Fantasy number 1000 from Marvel by... Hochi Anderson, Jordi Belair, Kurt Busaic, mm-hmm. Giuseppe mm-hmm. Yeah, Camancoli, yeah. Marco yeah. Cicchetto, Jim yeah. Cheung, Michael Cho, Clayton yep. Cowles, Olivia Capel, Rachel right. Dodson, Terry Dodson, Anthony mm-hmm. Falcone, Neil Gaiman, Jonathan Hickman, Armando yeah, so, Iannucci, wow. Richard Eisenhoff, Klaus Jansen, oh, yeah. Todd Klein, Ariana right. Mahar, Mayer, mm-hmm. Frank Martin, J.P. Mayer, Steve McNiven, Todd Nock, right. Sonia Back, Mike Pashillo, J. David Ramos, Rochelle Rosenberg, Rainbow Rowell, Joe Sabino, Dan Slott, Ryan Stegman, and Matthew Wilson. Woo! Uh, wow. That was, was so, going to be my review. Uh, there you that, go. So, as you can probably figure out here, this is a collection honoring the anniversary of Amazing Fantasy 15, I believe, the title that introduced right. yes. Spider Man. I know my history, Spider Man to the World. This is a bunch of different short stories that jump throughout his history to show us the past, present, and future of Spider Man with teams that have worked on him in the past, as well as some fresh new ones. This, so I will get the requisite. Collections are a mixed bag thing that we always talk about every time out of yeah. the way. This collection was awesome. Really well. Very uh, good. Curated. I was really impressed with it. I kept reading it being like, okay, this is going to be too much. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I'm going to get sick of all these Spider-Man stories. But I didn't. They just kept getting better. And each one of them was so good in a different way. I was really, really impressed with this collection of stories. I thought they were all bangers. And you're famously easy on Spider-Man stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot uh, to love in this. I have to shout out the the Neil Gaiman story. I knew it. I first. knew that was going to be. And what I, we I know, talk about. but I have to shout it out first because it's really great. It's mm-hmm. really like different, and it it is an exact mirror of the time when I interviewed Neil Gaiman. <laughs> like his experience um, connecting with Spider-Man and it, this, his story, and it's later on in the book, uh, but definitely worth seeking, seeking it out, um, is about how his personal relationship with Spider-Man uh, had him fall in love with the comics. And later on, he, he um, got to uh, meet uh, Steve Ditko and all that. And like, it's, awesome and it reminded me of when i met neil gaiman and had sort of a similar experience that one was really cool too that i'll shout out that are definitely in my wheelhouse but dan slot story which is all about a older spider-man i think it's his 60th birthday yes getting and there's a spoiler here but he gets shot by a mugger, which is going right back to the origin, I thought was a clever and a heartbreaking thing to happen. It has all the classic, like, New York rallying around Spider-Man stuff going on. Uh, just a really, really good Dan Slot story. And then the other one, which I think a lot of people are very interested in here, and I was... I really enjoyed it. it was not what I expected it was Jonathan Hickman's story which basically does Council of Reeds but with Council of Peters and which I thought was cool yes very cool but also funny which you don't expect from a Jonathan Hickman story which I was very pleasantly surprised about what I loved about that is the way it is in the book is you don't find out who wrote it until the end and I was yeah. like Phew, ballsy yeah. to write this Council of Reeds story about Peter Parker and I was like oh good Jonathan Hickman did it perfect <laughs> I also <laughs> I also really like the uh, the story where it's a collection of pictures that Peter took, and mm. uh, the artist uh, who did that was just did an was amazing that, job. I might be wrong. Was that Rainbow Rowell's story? That's sort of like his day in the life thing. Uh, yes, yeah. by um, uh, Olivier Coppel. Yeah. It was, uh, was just absolutely beautiful and just really uh, letting the kind of art and the photography kind of speak for themselves are really, really uh, well done. And what I loved about that one, it was a real slice of life moment. Like, I think that's something that some of the best uh, stories in these like anthologies really do that just like a point in time in the these characters that we love. I want to shout out the Armando Iannucci story, like um, great uh, creator of Veep. Um, and this show, this um, this short really like sort of touches on that enough, but also really uses the Spider-Man uh, characters really well. And the uh, I'll also shout out the Kurt Busiek story, which is like a classic Kurt Busiek knowing way too much about <laughs> comic continuity thing where 
he teases it in a very cheeky way at the beginning where he's like, this is a story that's going to tie into the continuity of Amazing Fantasy 15, but not in the way you think. And then it ties into the continuity of the backstory that everybody yeah. forgets, nobody knows about. So you have Spider-Man. There's another story with this dude who gets locked in a tube and gets thrown back in time. Oh, so yeah, that's that one's what great. it ties into. Yeah. Very fun. Very just like very silly but knowledgeable thing to throw in there in the middle of the book. And the Dodsons on art, which like I, it's hard to find a book um, that the Dodsons draw that is not good. But maybe we'll talk about one later. Uh, I was going to say, hold on to that. Thought. It's funny you bring that up. Huh. Wonder if this is book ended anyway. Let's move to the next book. We're going to talk about Superman War World Apocalypse, oh, number one from man. DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Brandon Peterson, Will Conrad, Max Rayner, and Miguel Mendonca. This is bringing the World World War World. That's very hard to say. Saga. To a close. We should have warmed up. We should have warmed war up world, before we did world. this. Yeah. That's the war classic. World, war world made me push my M&Ms, right? Is that what you say? That's the classic one that we the do classic. in the theatrical world. <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> so this brings the saga to the end as Mongol is coming face to face with Superman, who finally has powers again. Everybody's bringing it down. I'll throw this out there first. And this is like a lob for Pete. But even more than a Superman story, I kind of think this was a fantastic Midnighter story. Oh, yes. nice. Yeah, that was a pretty cool moment for sure. I loved it. Uh, you know, spoilers with my review, but I just, I mean, the fact that we got... <laughs> Uh-oh, Pete review fans, turn away now if you don't want to know spoilers Wait. for Pete's review. I You're mean, doing we... it. You're doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's not a spoiler. Uh, well, I'm going to be giving away kind of the key parts here, but I mean, just the fact that this thing's got ripping out hearts, kissing above the cloud lines. I mean, come on, this is a comedy. I mean, what an end to this journey it has been. I I wanted a little bit more Superman fighting, you know what I mean? But I still loved every single uh, minute of it and uh, was really impressed with all the kind of stories and the way it all kind of came together and, uh, you know, it gets you, gets you in the feels. There's nothing more Pete than kissing above the cloud line. Yeah, uh, I think we on. can say that. Come on. Um, I uh, talked about this book on the live show. Um, I, Philip oh, Kennedy you did? Johnson. Yeah, I that mentioned it. was a while it. ago, I remember. What'd you yeah, say? It was a while ago. Um, let me try to look through my notes. Yeah, that was like 12 <laughs> hours ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah 12 yeah, hours ago. Yeah. Uh, hard to remember. Um, the uh, I love, I feel Philip Kennedy Johnson has been just telling this epic fantasy story. That is also a great Superman story at the same time. And it's got kind of like it comes this. together. I'm sorry. Yeah, it comes to together like it comes together like a fantasy story here. We've got your main sort of uh, king uh, hero, Superman. He's got all of the different knights who are doing their part to um, to fight the good fight. And then um, he goes home to be with his love. Like it is great. It is perfect. It's just what you want. I didn't know I wanted it until I got it and I love it. Pete, I want to throw something out at you. Which is a better story, this War World saga or Planet Hulk? Oh, wow. I love you. that connection. How dare you, asshole? That's a, I hadn't made that connection before. Really? That's a okay. great connection. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, I, I do love the kind of War World uh, Superman that we do get in this. This is a very cool kind of, uh, you know, uh, battle Shirtless. kind of, yeah, Shirtless. like, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Fury Road Superman here. But mm. uh, to me, uh, you know, World War Hulk, uh, where he's so angry he can't be in the ship, he's got to ride on the front, you know what I mean? Like, that's real rage. That's somebody who understands anger at its base level. Superman's you know I mean? so angry he doesn't need a ship. He just flies. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, while we're talking about the parallels there, I, I think it's all almost the flip side, right? Like Pete's talking about that war, World War Hulk is all about <laughs> getting Hulk to a place where he is driven to this anchor where he's going to take vengeance on Earth. He's building up his power. And Superman literally, by the end of here, disperses his power to other people to save them. So they are very much in opposite directions and really draws a line in the, I mean, these are obvious differences, but the differences between who Superman is and who the Hulk is and what those characters are. So 
Nice, nice yeah, that, double features, if that's a thing that you could say for comics. That's that's a great, yeah, that's a great, like, um, going to the uh, drive-in movie theater to read both of these books. But yeah, Superman finds sort of peace in the, the reverse of Hulk in the end, and he becomes more Superman, while the Hulk becomes sort of the most uh, angry Hulk version of himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about Thunderbolts, number one, from Marvel, written by Jim Zub, art by Sean Zub Isaacs. Hub, Hub. This is picking up... From the Devil's Reign storyline, Luke Cage is now the mayor of New York. There used to be an evil Thunderbolts that was patrolling New York. Luke Cage hasn't been able to repair everything, but he's trying to assign heroes to be on this new team of Thunderbolts. There's a little bit of cultural commentary going on here with having a diverse team that sort of fits different slots. They're led by Hawkeye. They're going up and capturing some of the other evil Thunderbolts. And of course, there's some twists and turns by the end here in classic Thunderbolts fashion. What do you guys think about this book? I thought this was great. I really liked uh, the Hawkeye kind of humor that you get to kind of peppered in here with all the different action. Great to see Abomination and uh, what he brings to it. It's a it's a lot of fun. Uh, great art, uh, really over the top. And, uh, you know, uh, I felt bad for Abomination, but, uh, you know, it was still really I, I, I laughed. You know what I mean? Uh, this has sort of like a soft ecstatics vibe to it, uh, mm-hmm. Alex, that you were talking about, or the the, the X-Force book that then spun out of that, where it's like sort of critiquing culture and uh, marketing and all of that. But through the lens of Hawkeye, where it's sort of like shrug of the shoulders, like, okay, if that's what we're doing, that's fine. And it has the, they talk about West Coast Avengers a lot, which I also think is a nice flavor to add in here. Um, so all these elements come together to make sort of a different stew of this type of book where it's launching a team book with a mix of people who don't really know each other but are coming together to be the new team um the only thing the only criticism i would have is like it's insane that hawkeye's the leader like everyone is like he's he's a shithead why are we putting him in charge luke cage is like i'm the mayor but i'm somehow putting hawkeye in charge like it's so obvious that he's a bad choice for this but he is the character the book wants you're like or we want or marvel wants to be there so it it does just feel a little bit of a push on that yeah i i will say you mentioned ecstatics and i think that's a great call out for this book i was certainly thinking about that a lot while i was reading this i was also thinking about not that we mentioned his name anymore but the warren ellis thunderbolts which was also uh, right. That was the team led by Norman Osborn, where he's going insane at a mountain, and they're mostly hanging out there. I think it was Mike Diodato art, which we've recently found out is another person we don't talk about. So let's stop talking about that. But uh, my main <laughs> feeling here while I was reading this at the beginning of the book was like, for the cultural commentary here, you really need like to talk about somebody we're going to talk about later in the stack of Mark Millar, who has like the real edge take on it, you know, to like really pump up the we're being real assholes with the culture commentary thing, which is not Jim Zub. He's he does have edge. He has dark humor, but he's a much kinder writer and he's a much goofier writer when he goes into the humor sometimes. And I think that works nicely for the book. What I eventually came around to plot wise is that's not the sort of book that works with Luke Cage's bear. Like there is no world where Luke Cage is like. Yes, let's get into these diversity issues and be real jerks about it. That's just not going to happen. So having Jim Zub write the book the way he is, like you're saying, I think a call out being West Coast Avengers is probably a closer comp to what we're talking to than that Thunderbolts run that I mentioned or the like cynical nihilism of ecstatics, particularly at the beginning of its run. So I'm enjoying yeah. it. I'm on board. It took me a little while to like wrap my brain around it, but... As a comic book, it's fun. Jim Zub writes fun stuff. Sean yeah, Isaac's does. art is fun. I had a good time. Yeah, it's well layered. All the stuff we just mentioned is layered really nicely, so it doesn't feel like you're there's too much going on. We sort of move through it to land where the, on the tone that the book I think will uh, will really focus on. Yeah, and could you imagine also how much shit Marvel would get if they were like, "Here's our diversity Thunderbolts." Everybody yeah. would hate them. Hate that. Yeah. So glad that's not happening. Let's talk about the Sandman Universe Nightmare Country number five from DC Comics, written by James oh, Tyne the Fourth, art by Lizano Esteban. 
and Aaron Campbell. This is, I believe, finishing the first arc of this book in huge fashion for fans of the Sandman franchise as the Corinthian and his buddies go up against the bad guys. We get a bunch of stuff from Sandman continuity layered in here that is awesome to see. Justin, curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's this is such a timely book to be coming out when the Sandman series on Netflix is really moving and really drawing eyeballs to it. Because this is such a a great example of the juice that is still in the Sandman universe as a comic book. The juice. There's still juice. Like, I feel like Sandman people are like, that was finished. Those comics are done. There will be no more new comics. But I think uh, James... James IV, like, is able to... JT4. JT4 is able to really bring that energy and tell a new story that connects so well to what has come before and I think would serve as a great sort of, like, new direction for the Sandman universe to go. Now, real quick, you're JT1. Do you hang out with JT2 and JT3 as well as JT4? Or how does that work? Um, Yeah, so I'm JT1. Uh, Justin Timberlake is JT2. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Uh, And that's awkward. uh, I heard... no, I earned the title in a beer pong game we played head to head, and he it was he bet he wagered, and I was like, okay, dude. So okay. you guys had one. All the JTs got together, had one beer pong tournament, and that's how you got the numbering. No, this is just me head to head with Justin Timberlake. There's oh, no all the JT three is uh, jambalaya tire. Who's that guy from New Orleans who puts jambalaya in a tire and serves it? Right? Oh, it's yes, so good. Yes. I would it's very good. So good. You don't even very taste the good. rubber. No, you don't. That's how good the jambalaya is. Um, So first (laughs) off, this is so creepy and so good. This is like crazy, crazy fun. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure at all times what is happening, but I'm having a great time reading this. And, uh, you know, damn your bananas. This is some great fucking art, man. What? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Pete turning against himself. In a yeah, twist. I mean, the art's so good. It, you know, it really just... Wait, wait you're damning your bananas? <laughs> That's right. I don't know. It feels like you're workshopping a new catchphrase in a way. And I, this, this one, this one, I can't believe I'm saying this. This one makes less sense. <laughs> I can't, I, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. Doesn't it make somehow it's harder to understand what you mean? That's how good the art is. Yeah. Great. Uh, great book. Yeah, Ant-Man number two from Marvel, <laughs> written by Al Ewing, art by Tom Riley. I am loving this book. This is a trip through the continuity of Ant-Man. The first issue dealt with old-timey Hank Pym. This one is jumping all the way to Eric O'Grady, the irredeemable Ant-Man. Ooh. So fun well, to see him again. Such an asshole. But Al Ewing writes him perfectly. Tom Riley's art is great. Just I, conjures because this oh was Robert God. Kirkman. This was like the Invincible team, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, yeah. and the the art is perfectly yeah. captured. The tone is spot on. It's so surprising to me for Al Ewing, um, a writer who came off an incredible run of the Incredible Hulk, and is now doing some wild and woolly work. And I mean that as a compliment, like the Defenders book, which is like super wonky, deep Marvel mysticism continuity. And then this book, which is going so hard into Ant-Man continuity, a continuity that no one is talking about, <laughs> uh, I would argue. But this is, it is it is so successful in hitting it. The book has a mystery element. We don't know what's happening or why. There's a slightly meta element to the uh, main story. Um but yeah, and this makes me like Eric O'Grady as a character. Like, I I wouldn't mind seeing this Ant-Man wandering around the Marvel Universe a little bit. Huh, interesting. Uh, well, first off, uh, to all you Ant-Man fans out there who do talk about Ant-Man and what's going on, you know, apologies for Justin's rant there. Yeah, real but quick, I we're do called think, Fat-Man. I, I'm oh, sort okay. of a rant man in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I was really impressed with not only the art, but the tone of this and kind of the fun that it's having. Uh, just, it's, it's very cool. Love the, the pace of it and, uh, all, all that it's exploring. 
I'm still kind of stuck on damn your bananas, but why don't we move on and talk about <laughs> Harley Quinn, the animated series, the real sidekicks of New Gotham special number one from DC yeah. Comics, written by T. Franklin, Alexia Quasinaro, uh, Quasarano, excuse me, Connor Shin, Jimmy Mosquito, and Jameson Barak, art by Max Sarin, O'Neill Jones, Erica Henderson, Logan Farber, PJ Holden, Farbs. and John... I, what are you doing? John, Michael, and do you know Farbs? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just giving oh, Farbs you're just a shout trying, out. You're trying a lot of stuff out. It's just P, B, and P. Damn the bit. So the as you can tell from the title, this ties into the Harley Quinn animated series. It is all framed yes. around a talk show that the sidekicks and others are going on in between stories. Pete. You're a big fan of the Harley Quinn animated series. What do you think about this? Yes, I thought this was a really fun extension of an already amazing TV show. I thought it's exactly what you want. You want to feel like this uh, TV show is just kind of broken down into the stills here. It feels like an extension of that. So check. Great job. Uh, yeah, I just think it's a hilarious and really fun and really feels like uh, it's straight torn from the animated show. It's a totally quality package right there. Now, Justin, you don't watch the show, I, I believe. I've watched um, a bunch of it, but I haven't watched like okay. the newest stuff, uh, essentially. But um, I love the framing device. For just as a comic book, if Pete, Pete is coming from the animation side, let me come at it from the comic book side. I love the framing device of this talk show. I really love just that we start off with a, a, a very talk show vixen. In, in the animated show, just so you know. I know. It's not like I, they made up this talk show just for uh, the comic book. 100%. But okay, for, right. for a comic book, I'm saying I like the framing device where it allows us to pop out into these individual stories while also maintaining an ongoing narrative. Um, love that we get a, a hardcore Vixen focused story. Vixen, just a great comic book uh, hero. Like the visual nature of the way that her powers are shown in a comic book is awesome. I, I want to see more Vixen in general. Um, and then I just, the individual stories are great. Like the Batgirl story is awesome. It's fun. Everything's fun throughout. The fact that we get a great Clayface story is awesome. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, it's just a, like if you aren't uh, watching Harley Quinn, this is a great sort of uh, entree into that universe while also featuring some great characters just from the Batman or Bat family that you don't see a lot of. Yeah, it's great to see the kind of good guys in this kind of context. It's a real fun, unique way to do it. And what's also great is if you like the animated series, you hear the voices when you read the comic, which is cool. And uh, I know, Pete, you came from the direction of being a fan of the animated series. Justin, you came as a fan of comic books. I want to come as a fan of podcasts. I think we did a great job reviewing this. Let's move on to talk about <laughs> The Variants, number three from Marvel, written by Gail Simone, art by Phil Noto. It is all finally going down this issue as Jessica Jones encounters multiple multiversal variants of herself. We don't know exactly what's happening there. She thinks maybe it's tied to the anniversary when the purple man kidnapped oh, her, but she's man. not quite sure. But there's some big, big emotional beats that happen in this issue, some huge action. Um, this book is, and I say this in the best way, hard to read. Interesting. I I, well, I, just I because, understand because what it, you're it, Yeah, yeah, well, I pushes, agree with you. Like, here's the thing. They've never... I don't think they've ever explicitly stated that the purple man sexually assaulted her, but... Even putting that aside, he mentally assaulted her, right? So yeah, yeah. getting back to that is very hard to read and it's very hard to deal with. But that's exactly what this team is diving right into. Yeah. Well, And let me say, like, um, this book, I agree, this book is great. Uh, just from a writing perspective, Phil Noto's are awesome. And Jessica Jones is a character that um, I we met in the Marvel Universe from Bendis' initial uh, creation, Alias, all that. Elevated to the Netflix series, one of the Netflix yeah. shows that um, I think really um, maintains quality even after um, uh, we've all moved past those Netflix shows. Uh, this book is a is an essential part of that story. I think it, it really like it allows you to Alex's point look at everything that's come before through Jessica Jones's eyes as well as sort of. Uh, the other versions of her that we're meeting in this book. And it, the mystery is just tipping over. I think here we're not, we don't even know the full story. We're getting some Luke Cage stuff here as well. Like this is a, 
this is a great book. I, I worry that it's going to fly under the radar. Uh, I agree. This is a really great book. Yeah, tough at, at, at times. Um, uh, but I really like what it's doing. There's humor in this. There's kind of dealing with stuff in a way where, you know, she has friends, which is great. But also the Luke Cage stuff, as Justin mentioned, was so badass and so cool. And then kind of leaves you in this like, oh, shit, reveal moment for the end of this issue. Um, yeah, I'm impressed with all that it's doing within this one issue. You really got a uh, roller coaster of emotions here. Um, um, but man, uh, done so well, done uh, artistically uh, forward. So it's it's really impressive what you're getting in this comic, and I hope uh, people take notice. Wonder Girl 2022. Before we move on, that's oh, the yeah. variance. The variance number three, a, a title that I feel like is All maybe right. hard to variance remember. Variance three. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot about that. K Grimes um, two over on that, our live yeah, show. Number requested. two. Got to give it for number. That's two. fine. Yes. I forgot two, but that one especially I think is a little bit harder to remember. So like, let's definitely shut that. Okay, up. ask that we repeat the titles after we're done. I'll see if I remember that. Wonder Girl 2022 Annual Number One from DC Comics, written by Joel Jones. I'm Douglas Marquez, art by Elide Eli Lennox. Oh, my goodness. Adriana Mello, Sweeney Boo, and Ben. Sweeney Boo. Sweeney Boo. I love every time I see that name. I'm like, Sweeney Boo. In my yeah. Head. It's very fun. Ben Dewey. Uh, this is focusing on Yara Flores going on a bunch yes. of adventures as well as sundry related characters. Love the art of this book. Really gorgeous. What do you think about the story, though? I, I think um, – in general, this episode of the stack, um, we've talked. We talk a lot about on this show, or at least I do, about how missing annuals that really tell it, their own story Ooh, and have unique thing. And I think uh-huh. the, we're going to talk about a few annual annuals here, and they all oh, do oh. that. Um, and this one, this one does it in, in a great way. The art is fantastic, and Wonder Girl is a character that it's hard to know exactly what uh, what her spot in the DC universe is. Uh, but every issue I read. I'm like, this is great. I want to see more of this character. Yeah, I want more and more. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think this is r- really uh, uh, well done. I like that we're getting into the wonder team a little bit. We get more wonders in this, which is great. Uh, I really love this issue. I mean, that kiss. I mean, come on. Let's see. We're talking about kissing in this stack. I mean, that's up there. That was a that was a quality. Wait, are we talking about kissing in the stack? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the kissing above the skyline, you know. And now we're talking we were? about this kiss, this kiss. So there's some uh, sweet smooches. This kiss. Uh, anyways, uh, it's a it's a quality annual and uh, definitely worth checking out. All right, why don't we talk about House of Slaughter, number eight from Boob Studios, written by Sam Johns, art by Letizia Cadenisi. This is continuing the arc that spins off of Something is Killing the Children as one of our House of Slaughter members is on a boat investigating Uh, mystery. Don't don't get on boats, man. Uh, Don't ever get on boats? Yeah, don't get on boats, man. I really like this arc. I like how it is shaking up the way they approach storytelling in Something Mm, is Killing the Children in the Universe. But most of all, Letizia Canadisi's art is stunning. Like, this is... I just want to say, damn your bananas! This is good art. <laughs> it's catching on. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, sorry. Real, real quick on that before you give your review. Is it damn your bananas? Like yeah. you, the oh. artist? I thought. Or it was is like, it like damn your bananas? Yeah. I damn it was like your shake. bananas. Yeah. It was like like cursing your fist. Yeah, like damn yeah. your bananas. Yeah. Like, damn your bananas. These, right. This is great art. Yeah. Like cursing. Like I have a. I have bananas downstairs that I bought at the grocery store. And I'm like, damn those bananas. Yeah. Exactly. I'm cursing your bananas. Right. And the bananas is the art in this case or? No, no. Uh, you know, Alex, t- I don't think there's a metaphor here. <laughs> he's, here he's truly cursing your real bananas. Yeah, right, exactly. I'm going to buy some bananas then, I guess. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, we're talking about House of Slaughter, and let me oh, okay, weigh great. in here. So, uh, yeah, I just want – oh, go ahead if you were uh, – I, um, I agree the art is very good, very much in the style of sort of the world, but also extending it in a way. And I like that this this story takes us in um, – it's a different type of story. I think this book does a great job of being a companion book to the main Something's Killing the Children where we're getting different not only uh, characters and takes on the universe, but also just different ways of – 
hearing stories and uh, being told stories. This one is sort of a real uh, like ride along with one character sort of coming to grips with um, a truth in his life. And I, I really liked that. I was really along for this ride. Uh, yeah, this is super scary. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as like, it just feels a little outside the pocket of, of where we were operating, which is fun. You can go outside of that and explore other stories. Uh, but I also kind of was reading it being like, I, I, I want more a little bit. I wanted more uh, kind of connection to our all the things that I know and love uh, about this universe. So I was impressed artistically what it did and the story that is told. But I walked away feeling like, oh, I wish it was like a little bit more. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. artistically, it was cool what it did. Damn that pocket full of bananas. House of Slaughter 8. <laughs> The Flash 2022 annual number one from DC Comics, written by Jeremy yeah. Adams, art by Serg Acuna. I'm very surprised, Pete, to say you say, hear you say, yeah, since you usually hate The Flash. So talk yeah. about this one. What do oh you think, God, you think he's too this. fast? You think he's too fast? No, you know what? I loved this issue because The Flash was barely in it, okay? It was mainly about other things going on and, uh, you know, had some real uh, romance in the air, a little romance novels kind of reference to, stuff. To set the scene a little and bit. It gets a little meta, gets oh, a little right. weird, but... Uh, you, you, know, are, you are blasted out of that mic, man. Oh, sorry. This is Wally West is reading a novel that his wife has written. Because we're reading, and then the character's also reading. It is a romance novel that she wrote, sci-fi inflected, that uses characters from the Flash universe. It's very cute, very fun. Yes. Justin, what did you think about this one? Um, I also enjoyed this. This is the one that I think most epitomizes for me the like really using an annual to be an annual. Like we get the whole format shift of the Flash reading um, the uh, uh, Linda West novel, Linda Park West novel, and uh, it's great. Like from the cover, the Fabio esque cover to everything that happens, great reveal at the end. Uh, it was just a great Flash story. To Pete's point, without having to be focused ag- aggressively on the Flash, yeah, and, and just a nice suck uh, it, Flash. No, he is still the main character here in a lot of ways, um, and just a great romance. References other, I think, uh, stories in this genre in a good way. It's cool. Very fun. Definitely pick that up. Next up, Alice Ever After, number five from Boom Studios, written by Dan Panosian, art by Giorgio Spalletta and Dan Panosian. And this is the final issue of this book, oh, dot, man. dot, dot, question mark, because as we talked to Dan Podosian back on our live show, he said that he may have more stories to tell in this universe, but this is it for now. As, Did we talk to him about this book, man? Because this is a really cool oh, book. This bit, this bit you're doing is killing me. Oh, we we did. God. It's oh, killing we me. We should have done We always it. do. We always <laughs> do. I wish we would have, because I we would did. have some things to ask. Just to be real quick about it, we did talk to him. Because <laughs> oh, it's too bad. It's too bad. We Let me throw this out, really Pete. A lot, the of, opportunity. a lot of times, <laughs> the reason the guests on the show is to talk about the books that we read. Huh. That's how uh, the process goes. Weird. Well, anyway. Anyway, this is the end of this realistic story of Alice in Wonderland <laughs> as Alice gets, spoiler, lobotomized. By yeah, boo, boo. Dark. Boo. I mean, yeah, lobotomy. Sh- She's not crazy now. Isn't that great? Oh, my God. What a good procedure. Oh, no, <laughs> oh we should say Alex is a big advocate for regular lobotomies. Uh, I and I think that. Lobotomized by a whole family. They're doing to, lovely. Oh, oh to be God. fair, I think your relationship with us on this podcast really, I think, feeds your interest in lobotomy for people who are problematic to you. Yeah. Uh, As I always uh, say, damn your lobotomy. Wow, wow, that was worth it. <laughs> worth it for the bits alone. Uh, yeah, that's so a lot I of think, bananas. Uh, this is this is I'll heartbreaking. What, I think we've crossed the line and become too meta about our own podcast. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, this is this is heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but it did. So that that part, the reality of it was. Uh, Kind of really uh, yucked my yum a little bit there, so I was uh, I was a little uh, a little hurt by what happened with Alice in this. But um, this has been super creative and really impressive on what they're they're kind of doing here. So uh, I I was happy for the ride, but I was also a little sad, but still happy overall. So let me wow, happy said happy. Let me ask you, Pete, what was your yum in this book? Uh, well, because the, the creative kind of. Thing of like, uh, you know, uh, 
we can kind of go Alice. our own little worlds and our own little crazy gotcha. places that we create and stuff like that. You know, like a fun little attic where we can put up our posters that we like on the wall and maybe, you know, it's a, it's our own little safe place. You know what I mean? Uh, got you. Because um, I agree with you. Like, th- th- you're right. That is what this book sort of uh, set out and her escape from truly every issue is like, you think it's bad <laughs> oh, now? Yeah. Watch yeah. out because here it's worse. And each issue does get progressively worse. This one tragic in the sort of like, knock, knock, we're here to save the day. You got the wrong house uh, at the end of the day. And um so very sad. I hope for if in uh, the next version of this, uh, the next trade or the next sort of run on this, that there is a little bit more light at the end of the tunnel because I this agree. was a great read, but just a hard mental read, I think. Yeah. I'll also throw out there that this is one of the rare books that justifies having two artists. Because Giorgio Spalletta's book in the main continuity of what's going on is great and really good. Not necessarily realistic, but really well done. And Dan Panosian's Wonderland art, I believe it was Dan Panosian doing the Wonderland art, is stunning as well. So they really contrast each other, but also work really nicely well together. This is a great uh, book. Definitely pick it up in collection. I think if Greg Pak was here, he would say this is a real kick in the brain. I'm sure he would not say that. Harley really Quinn, words. <laughs> 2022, words in annual number one from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Simone Bonfantano and David Baldian. This is picking up on a plot line happening in Harley Quinn, where she is leading Task Force X to fight an evil alien entity, and that it's kicking off the next Harley Quinn storyline. I'm curious to hear from you guys, particularly Justin, given that you lauded annuals st- sticking out as their own story. This doesn't. doesn't. So how'd you feel about yeah. Oh, man. Justin, defend this then, huh? What? Oh, th- this is Alex the really painted you in the corner. Let's see if you can get out. <laughs> what this, do you got? This, <laughs> this one is... I'm fine. I, I'll, I like being in the corner with paint. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, this one, yes, is very Justin much... Justin ex- likes the corner. Uh, no one puts Justin in the, in the corner. I'll get you. I'll get you. Uh... uh <laughs> Uh, yes, this one definitely has the least um, standalone annual value. I do think the story does stand alone if you're not reading the book, but the fact <laughs> that it truly is a lead in and uh, lead out on both sides here. Um, but uh, uh, the middle point, and when you pick up in that second story, I was like, this is a fun. Uh, I wish the backstory was the full annual. Um, but uh, I want to shout out also the cover with um, the famous, I want to say, Jim Lee cover with Batman and Robin with uh, yeah. Yeah. with Harley Quinn replacing uh, Robin, I thought was very cool. And the story's fun. Great action. Uh, still the fun uh, that you always get from Harley Quinn. Uh, but definitely curious how the story unfolds in the backstory going forward yeah i agree this is a lot of fun great story aliens are bad great use of orca and uh, i love harley's uh love of cheese you know what i mean well, so and I'd a lot of seafaring puns here i who, who doesn't love it the vampire slayer number five for boob studios written by sarah galley art by sonia Liao. this is a rebooted continuity where buffy has somehow magically not become the Vampire Slayer, and instead Willow is the Vampire Slayer. Oh, man. Seems like Faith knows a little something about it, and as we left off the last issue, they were fighting a pasta monster, which is where we pick up this issue. I'm really having a great time reading this book. Uh, This is, I think, my favorite run on... Buffy that Boom Studios has done in a good long while. And it's just getting funnier and more fun every issue. This is one of, I know we've talked a lot about like rejiggering the continuity, but this is completely working for me in terms of how the characters are different, how Xander is different, how Spike is different, how everybody is yeah. different. Uh, and I think that's all down to how Zara Galley is writing the book as light and fun but also just the characterizations in general feel like the core characters with these otherwise very big differences. I mean, well, and like, got- I think the oh. the writing really trusts the audience to understand the differences, which I think is a real benefit to it. Like, I feel like another version of this pick would be like, look, do you believe the difference here? And it's very much like, no, this is just you'll you'll understand the difference because it's the story. And I like that confidence and trust in the reader uh, is really working well here. 
And if you're going to have a pasta monster, somebody better grab a, you know, fork and try to twist it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, so that was fun. I also, you know, it's the in the infighting kind of can drive me nuts a little bit, but I, I am having a great time reading this. I love the choices that they're making. Uh, it's fun if you know all the Buffy history, but if you're not as deep into it as maybe someone like me, I'm still having a great time reading this book and uh, this some real heart to it as well, which uh, not only comes in the writing, but also in the art. So impressive. Let me ask you, um, what do you think of the pasta choice of Bucatini? Do you feel like there's a scarier pasta out there? What's your most um, fearful pasta choice? I mean, that's tough. You know, I've, I'm always uh, afraid of those little wheels. I hate them goddamn wheels. Wagon wheels? You don't like the wagon wheels? I don't like the wagon wheels. They, they, what, about the, what about the farfalle, the little bow ties? You don't like that because you don't like uh, dressing up for stuff, right? Too formal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. too yeah. formal. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, because, you, you know, you got to wear a tie if you're eating farfalle. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. thing. Um, yeah, what about the spirals? They're the ones that um, I really, they can Routini? really hold on to the flavor. Yeah. Mm. I do like Rotini. Uh, Penne, also pretty good. Are we just talking about pasta we like now? Is that what's going up? Yes. Yeah, I think penne just, uh, it's too much noodle. What are you like, talking about? Come it's on, not dude. Taking, it's not taking on. Come on, bro. It's not taking us. You're just like vodka. It, well, it's not I, yeah. Yeah, I do. All right, here's what you do. You take the penne, you soak it in some vodka, you throw out the penne, you drink Are, are you vodka. doing a Trump impression? What is going on? I don't know what I'm doing. He's <laughs> just, just a low whispery guy. Yeah. And DC, that's the Vampire Slayer number five. DC is by the Bell Reef, number one from DC Comics, written by Becky Cluden, Brendan Fletcher, Tim Seeley, Peter J. Tabasi, David Weisgalls, uh, Art Baltazar and Franco, Brandon Thomas, Dan Waters, I mean, Andrew Aiden, art by Carl Kershaw, Scott Collins, Max Rayner, Mike Norton, Alt, Art Baltazar, Craig Cermak, Juan Ferraria, and Nelson Daniel. This is all focusing on either high school-based heroes or taking the heroes and villains back to high school. Pete, you seem to be super jazzed by this. Take it away. Pete, this you're was a high another- school student. Yeah, right. Uh, this was a, another really fantastic collection of stories, all bangers. Uh, I wanted a little bit more, uh, some more Saved by the Bell references in there, but uh, mm. I was still really impressed what we got here. Uh, B. Cloonan just uh, really delivering on this. Uh, uh, I, I'm a sucker for the Tiny Titans with Art and Franco, so this was just uh, a ton of fun. Uh, I love the uh, the the Batgirl stuff with the night off that was super adorable. Uh, Tim Seeley having a ton of fun. I mean, uh, this was just a really a fantastic collection here. Uh, pr- impressive. Yeah, I got to give it up for the um, Nightwing Batgirl prom night story. Come on, night man. Off, um, later on in the book. Really enjoyed that. Always enjoyed uh, Always enjoyed Tiny Titans. And then I really like, I've been really liking the um, uh, the Osriel stuff that's been going through DC. And we get that here um, in in this story, sort of in the in the back half as well. Uh, I don't. This didn't quite relate to high school, and it was just like a story of childhood trauma. Uh, but um, I still really liked it. The art on that I thought was the high most unique of this trauma. set. Yeah, They're yeah. not the way that it went for our our guy um, right, right. Jean Paul, but uh, yes. Of the two collections we're talking about in the stack, this is not quite as successful as the other one, I would oh, say. Oh, come on, dude. You know, it's not. Uh, come on. It's, it's just not. Dude, that one of them's a thousand issue, like... Uh, you know, I know they've thing. been working this was on just it for a, a thousand months. Yeah, this point, exactly. So, this is yeah. just a come on, dude. You can't. Well, and let's be two. clear. We've talked about multiple anthologies. We had a Harley Quinn one as well mm-hmm. in here. Oh, that's true. Okay, that's good. So uh, there's a lot of them out there. So yeah, so shut up, Selby. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Uh, but I did really? enjoy a bunch of the stories in here. Let's talk Damn about those breakouts. <laughs> Breakout number three from Dark yeah. Horse Comics. It's not catching on. Don't think it's catching on. Breakout number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Zach Kaplan, art by Wilton Santos. And this issue, our teens are finally inside the not exactly alien cube, but as we find out, spoiler, 
alternate universe cube that has been kidnapping oh, teens. They're doing man. a whole Ocean Elevens thing to break folks out. Pete, you seem super stoked about this. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, I was super impressed with not only the plan, but kind of like sometimes you hear about the plan, you're like, whoa, that's way more overly complicated than it needs to be. But I really liked the way that not only they talked about it, but then executed it, uh, show, don't tell. So I, I was uh, really impressed with this issue. I felt like, you know, we kind of were the first two issues were kind of building up to this and this really delivered. This is a real kind of m- the meat of uh, the story here. And, and the kind of, it was just, uh, it was really cool. And I think they did a great job of setting up. And then this issue really delivered There's some real intense moments here. And, uh, all, uh, you know, you don't get a, a smooch but you get a very touching hug. So, uh, to kind of keep that theme going for this stack, but man, um, you know, damn your bananas. There's some real amazing spread pa- uh, splash pages in this. So, uh, do you, do you workshop the stuff before the show or how did, what's going on? That, no. I want to say no. And let me just say <laughs> the, the beauty of the English language is that often the more you hear it, the more it makes sense. Right. Damn your bananas is a rare case, <laughs> which goes in the opposite direction. <laughs> uh, but let me, let me say that. I also really like this book. It's it, it, Ocean's Eleven is a good comparison in how they tell their story, right. but it's none of the sort of like um, sort of wink uh, comedy of Ocean's yeah. Eleven. It's very Brad much Pitt's a not high stick. The whole yeah, time. he's not eating hardly at all. Brad Pitt in this <laughs> yeah. book, you only yeah. see him a couple times in the background. <laughs> he's the villain in the end here. Yeah, full yeah. makeup. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is what happens um, when Bullet Train fails. Is Brad Pitt looks like this? Uh, slam. The but I do think this. <laughs> has a high uh, sort of the a higher stakes version a more emotionally rooted um, heist Ocean's Eleven style heist and um, I think the art is fantastic uh, I definitely worth picking up I am really enjoying this I think this is like almost a no brainer either limited series or movie pitch 100%. But here's my one question. Oh, come on. No, this is a legitimate question because I feel like maybe I missed something because they started off this series being like, we don't know anything that's happening in these cubes. We have no idea. It's a complete Mm -hmm. secret. Total blackout in there. And then they were like, we have a little bit of footage that people have taken because they managed to sneak in phones. And then we get to this issue like, here's how it's laid out and here's how you walk through and here's how you break into it and we know every single... So what happened? What did I I miss there? Well, they did some recon, obviously. And they collected collected information. Yeah, Correct. They got into the cubes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one thing that held me back from loving this issue. I think there was a government guy who came in the last issue was like, I'll give you more information, if I remember correctly. And that's probably what they took here. But at the same time, it it was a little bit of a bummer for me because I love the idea of these scrappy kids with only the info they can glean off of scant information breaking into here and kind of like winging it. Here, they were Ocean's Eleven where they're like, we have the whole layout of the cube and we know everything that's going on. And I feel like that diffuses the concept a little bit, to be honest, even though oh, I still have fun man. reading it at the same Jesus time. And, and you know what? I, that's fair. Like the flavor, you just wanted a different flavor here. They mm-hmm. continued a similar flavor when like it, it does feel like if this were an ongoing series or a longer run, they might do a little bit more of like, well, we're in here. Now we have to figure this out. But it feels like for the sake of uh, the uh, being concise, I think they they went in this direction. And it does totally. work. Breakout number three, definitely worth picking out, picking up from the beginning. Yeah, for, for the And the last but least, Trouble from Marvel, <laughs> written by Mark Millar, art by Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson. This was requested by Kay Grimes 2 on iTunes. If you'd like to request a book, all you got to do is drop a rating, five stars, and comment over on iTunes, and we will check out a old graphic novel or run or anything like that. Now, Trouble, if you don't know about it, this is from the old epic comic line which existed for i believe trouble and then shut down immediately <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and it caused it to shut down there's a lot of conflicting reports about what exactly this series was but it was kind of them teasing the idea of maybe if it was successful this would be the origin of ultimate spider-man which is and this is a big spoiler for the series but that ant may and Richard Parker 
No. Richie, yes. Richie had a baby together and then gave it to Mary and Richard, who raised it, and then when they died, they gave it back to May and Bed, who later got married. And I'll tell you what, here's the big my big takeaway from reading this series is that if you want to get inside the mind of a teen girl, there is nobody better to hire than Mark Millar. He just nails that. Like, that is my first thought. Like, if I'm thinking, like, who knows teen girls the best? It's the guy who wrote, do you think this A stands for friends? Like, same thing, basically. Hey, you know? um, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I feel I mean, like... First off, we got to back up the truck and talk about these awful covers that were like these underage girls in bikinis, not drawn, but like photos, like in real life. So So, like you can't go into a comic book shop and buy this because it's like, hey, dirtbag, what the (laughs) fuck are you reading? You know what I mean? Like it's awful. It looks awful. It is awful. It doesn't feel good to purchase or support. Like, it is not a good book. And then when you get past the cover and try to read it. Hold on. Can I talk about the cover? No, no, no. I just want to mention the context for the cover, why they did that. The idea of it was that they were trying to appeal to a female audience and specifically trying to ape the feel of YA novels that are appealing to teen girls. Uh, this is, mind you, an almost entirely male creative team who made yeah. this decision, and I agree with you, Pete, that they are the perviest, portiest, grossest covers yeah. that I, I I knew about this book, but I did not read this book back in the day. Because you couldn't I, read it. Yeah, I saw the covers, and I was like, well, I'm not picking nope. that up. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to put that. I can't put that in my stack. I can't walk around with this. Well, and even beyond that side of it, I was like, oh, this isn't something that uh, is meant to be like, here, read this. It feels like it's so aggressive is what I think about it. And it feels like this book also feels like they're like, look, romance comics were a big thing for a long time. Here's our version of it. And it's just such a miss in that department. It's such a fratty, like dude centric, like male gaze version of that. When like a book that's, that's recently come out, love everlasting uh, Tom King's romance sort of entry into the romance comics world, like really does examine that genre. And like, how could we sort of make this relevant to a modern comic reader? Very smart book, uh, definitely worth checking out. And uh, this book is so like like porny that I think it gets in the way of a premise that is at least interesting. The idea of these um, characters that have a lot of comic book history built around them, and they were all sort of spending the summer in this place that was out of their normal context. It was sort of a fantasy world of like working in this job in a wealthy uh, context. Like there's a lot of potential there. And Mark Millar, Mark Millard the shit out of this. And, it, <laughs> and this is a kind of like Mark Millar does have books that I, I read. and I'm like, this is a good book, but this is just wrong for him in every way. You're 100% right about that because you can read this book and like Mark Millar's worst impulse is always his one sentence pitch. And then he doesn't yeah. go beyond that. He doesn't go any deeper than that. And this is like, what if it's Aunt May, but she fucks. And that's like literally the entire book to the point where it's uncomfortably reductive, anti-feminist. And then beyond that, just as like a comic book and a story, even if you don't want to even get into not political ramifications, but cultural ramifications of it, like Ben and Richie are incomprehensibly different as characters. Like most scenes – and this is not to slam Terry Dotson and Rachel Dotson too much, who are gorgeous artists. They're great. Yeah. But the way the characters are designed here, they're supposed to be brothers, so I get that. There are scenes where I was like, who – which one is this? Particularly because the whole plot of the book is Ben Parker and uh, Richie Parker switching between May and Mary – 
multiple times and I was like, I don't know who's sleeping with who. I don't know who's hooking up with who. I have no idea. This is impossible to follow. The story isn't interesting. Like I I understand as a human being that teens have sex and they like to have sex. So that is not my problem with well, it. Well and even beyond that, people have sex. Everybody yes. has everybody is having sex and like great. But there's a there's a scene in this in this like issue three or four where they're like uh, where Richie and May are having sex in the sand trap of the 15th <laughs> hole on a golf course multiple times. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, they're not. No one's sand trap. Get out of there. And it's also just even inconsistent. Like it's clearly it starts out as like a dirty dancing summer discovering yes. yourself type Which far sort of thing. I'm, uh, I'm into that. 100%. And there's moments where they introduce the two people who run the resort that they're working at, where I was like, okay, I can see the bones of what you were going for with, like, they're snooty, they're stuck up, but they loosen by the end of the summer. I get all of that. But they disappear by issue two, I want to say, something like that. So that plot is just gone. And one of them is named Peter. Which right, which is confusing. Well, but also sort of, I think, meant to be like, Peter Parker is named after this random guy. <laughs> like, so strange. No, and the other thing is another a major plot point is that um, Mary, uh, who ends, is Spider-Man's mom in the traditional comic take, um, is like, well, we went to this um, psychic, oh, yeah. this palm reader, and she said that I, if I had sex before I was 20, I would um, uh, instantly be a mom. And May uh, would never have anyone call her mom. But we we never – like I was like, if that scene is so important, it ends up being the big resonant scene for the whole story. Show, show, start with that scene. Show yes. us that scene. I was like, but you don't show us the scene that is the biggest as, deal of everyone? Adding, and I get it's a comic book universe, but like you're already playing in a romance world that's supposed to be this realistic world that you're adding in. Clearly, like, Madam Web or whoever is so weird and so beyond the pale, it completely takes you out. And then jumping to the end of the book, where, like, they've had a baby and they've traded babies and it's, I don't know, not even a year later or something. The way Mark Millar writes their dialogue when they're all hanging out at a wedding together is like, well, we're 50 years old right now and this has yeah. happened decades earlier. And we're all reflecting on this time long ago, but it was like six months or something. Yeah. The whole book is so batshit insane. I, I don't, First of all, I want to say, Kay Grimes, too, thank you for leaving the radio. Thank you for asking us. <laughs> and to let me this. say, I, I did enjoy, like, I was like, this is a wild book. I, I hadn't ever read it. So to read it, I was like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> I, just yes. wanna, I just wanted to be able to say that, like, I, I had to get past the cover to try to read this. But uh, this fucking thing sucks from start to finish. There is nothing enjoyable about reading this. Uh, but K Grimes too, you know, fun <laughs> review. Thank you. Uh, I, like Justin said, I wouldn't ever read this. So it was fun to be like, okay, I have to read this for this just to see what it is. So, yeah. Would you just as a cultural artifact, would you recommend anybody? No, read this? this should be <laughs> never be mentioned ever again or act like it existed because it is douchey as fuck and horrible. Um, yeah, I don't think um, this is ever going to be referenced uh, again in the Spider-Man continuity. Nor um, should it, it. It was a – I was happy to read it for the sake of uh, of reviewing it for this. Um, but, yeah, it has just a lot of problems uh, to it. Well, I'll, I'll throw something out at you, and this is very rumory, but while I was researching the book, I think this was – mind you, on Wikipedia, Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, but I've seen this stuff elsewhere as well. Uh, They had on the Trouble Trouble Wikipedia page, there was a In Other Media section, and according to them, and again, I've seen this rumor elsewhere, but this is very rumory, they were like, Madam Web, which is the movie that Sony is making, is loosely based on Trouble, where... (laughs) What the... Who's making these decisions? 
they somehow, I guess, like the rumor is they go back in time and there's a whole thing with like Adam Scott is Ben Parker and I think it's Sydney Sweeney or something is uh, May Parker Topical. and maybe they have like they hook up or something. So there's like a loose adaptation of that, which is I I could not believe that. But also that is 100 percent the sort of decision that Sony would make. Oh, Fair, uh, dicey, um, yeah. especially with the news of the day going around. <laughs> yes, there's that too. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see Trouble coming to the big screen next year. Thank you, Kay Grimes, too. Again, if you want to request anything, drop it in the comments on iTunes. And that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Coming out, we would love to chat with you about comics, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Frankly, I don't give a damn about these bananas. Yo, friend.